the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And may God bless the reading of his word to our hearts and lives. So what is Paul um, trying to say? Well, Paul is, if you imagine, Paul's trying to take the church in Rome, which he'd not met, by the way, he'd not met the the Roman believers yet, but he was speaking as an apostle to them. He was writing to them because there were some tensions between Jews and and Gentiles, non-Jews. And so he's talking about this unity of faith, this unity of hope that is in Jesus. And he's, he's writing to them about this, this, this tension and the place of Jew and Gentile in the church. But in this moment, he's, as Paul, Paul in his writings often goes off on tangents, a little bit like my sermons. And he, he'll go into something that, what's all that make it? What's all that about? In this moment, what he's trying to do, he's trying to take the people from, from ground level, from ground zero, up to the highest point. Where he's saying, you're, you're, you're viewing it down here. You're viewing life in light of all that you can, the, only the things that you can see in the here and the now. And he's saying, what I want you to do, as, one, as he builds in, in Romans, he's, he's saying, I'm going to take you up, up to the top so you can see clearly the picture of what God is doing and his purposes for the world and his purposes for you and his, his power and his sovereignty. So he's saying, come, take your vision from down here and let's lift it up and lift it high. And so he's, cha- he's wanting to change the vantage point. And he's painting this big picture of the good news story, the message of the kingdom and that which we get to participate in. See, we get to participate with God in the renewal of all things, the redemption of all things. One day, he will make all things new. But in the here and the now, we get to participate with him because we understand that the world is broken. The world isn't, isn't as it was intended to be. And so he says, this this present suffering is nothing compared with that which will be revealed. With glory, with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not in us, not for us, but to us. One day, for I consider the present sufferings not to be compared with that which is to come. And so, why is it? that Paul can write these things because he he too had experienced suffering, he'd experienced pain. Am I, uh, I, my beard is scratching. Right, if I just, don't say that Phil because my wife will say an amen. (laughs) Is is that okay, is that that better? Okay, good. Um, Where was I? So I'm gonna have to start again. Um, so he's saying that this present suffering is nothing compared with that which is to come. Have you ever felt stuck in your pain? Yeah? It's hard, isn't it? And what Paul, I don't, what Paul is not saying is that the pain and the things that we experience aren't real. It's not, he's not, that's not what he's saying. That's true. The things that we experience is re, are, are, are real. But what he's saying is that the, the, the stuff that we suffer in the here and the now, it's nothing compared to that which is to come. That one day, there will be no more pain. One day, there will be no more suffering. One day, there will be no more sorrow. One day, there'll be no more death. One day, 
everything will be made new. And so what we experience in the here and the now is, is nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed. But what is God doing in the moments of pain? Because, it, there's, because if we experience pain, is it just that it's, it, we have to suck it up and, and live with it? Or is God trying to reveal something that is, is be, beyond the pain that is pointing to something that is to come? Nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. But God, uh, you have a funny thing. God, what are you doing in the pain? What are you doing in the moments of suffering? What are you doing in these times? I think the rest of this passage speaks into that. So if you'd like to take notes and take points, um, uh, the first point is this, is that, cr- that creation groans. It's not just that we're broken. It's not just we suffer pain, but all of creation the whole world, the whole created order is suffering in pain. Glad you came this morning, aren't you? <laughs> for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. That the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay to the glorious freedom of God's children. So we, like climate change, big, big issue, big topic, isn't it? Indicating that something isn't right. The, the, the heat wave of, I mean, I don't know, I've never experienced those temperatures that we experienced Monday and Tuesday in the UK. I was in Spain on over the weekend and just soaring temperatures. We haven't seen, and we're experiencing this, uh, this global warming, this climate impact, environmental issues. Why, what is all of that about? Do we, is it just about doing good, or do we need to frame it as God's people about a gospel issue? Because it, it's gospel. Because if we understand that God's creation is broken, then why is it that God's people should be concerned and important? Well, because he made it and he actually called us to participate with him in the stewardship of the earth. So the stewardship of the earth isn't just about doing good. It's actually about the gospel. It's actually about uh, proclaiming Christ's rule and reign over all things. Creation is waiting for God's, God's sons and daughters, God's children, to be revealed. One day that will be fully. We'll step out and we'll, we'll rule and reign under his sovereign rule and reign. But actually God's people in the here and the now, we get to participate with him in the renewal of all things. So really this, this passage, I think, speaks into our responsibility for the, for the stewardship of the earth and the stewardship of the things that God has entrusted us to us. Why? Because the earth is broken. Will we fix it this side of Jesus' return? No. Does that mean that we shouldn't be concerned? No, we absolutely should. Because we know of the hope of that which is to come. So it's the future hope, the future glory that is to come when Christ is revealed that compels us and drives us to participate in his work and in his activity. The earth is groaning. And if we remember that the the groaning of pain indicates that something is wrong. Something is broken. But creation itself also to be set free from the bondage to decay to the glorious freedom of God's children. I don't know what brings it to your mind when you think about heaven 
and that which is to come. Is it, is it, is it just sat up there on a, on a cloud with a harp and singing some worship songs? I mean, I'm all for that, but after a little while, I think it'll get a bit boring. As a non-muso, all right, I'm sure all you musos are thinking, that's, that's bliss, that is absolute heaven. But actually, I, I think the, the, this passage and the New Testament writings point to something so much, so much grander, so much more magnificent, so much more majestic than we can ever begin to even dream or understand. Allow your imagination, as much as the scriptures allow, to dream and imagine what it might be like to, to be in that new heaven and that new earth with Jesus, the, the King, the Prince of Peace who has restored all order. Imagine that you and I in this moment, we get to participate with him in the outworking of that. What does that look like for your life and my life? What does it look like for the choices that we make about how we spend our time and how we spend our money and how we spend our resources? What does it look like for us to contribute into the big picture of, of crea creation care as a gospel issue, not just as the right thing to do, not just as the latest protest movement, but as a proclamation of gospel and good news that actually this matters because this is God's earth and it's God's creation. The second, second thing is this, um, believers groan. So in verse 23 to 25 it says this, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. I, I said earlier, you know, about my finger. I, I'm not kidding. I'm longing for the day of for a new body. Because parts of me are broken. Now, I'd like to think that over the course of my following with Jesus, I'm a little le less broken than I was. Because the outworking of his redemptive power at work in and through me, and, and hopefully my wife would bear witness to that fact that I'm a little less broken than I was. But we, we experience pain and we experience all kinds of things because we still understand that things aren't right. That things are not right within us, things are not right in the world, and so the Spirit of God who lives in us, He's God's greatest gift to us. He, he's not some abstract force who's out there somewhere, impersonal. No, that the thing that happens to you and I when we become followers of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit comes to take residence in us. God himself residing in us. Just think about that for a moment. Because I don't know whether you've ever just been caught by surprise at that thought. That actually, if God lives in us, then something radically different has happened to us and we are different. We are made new and being made new. What was once broken, as Paul writes in one, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So we are in Christ Jesus being made new. But we understand that we're not fully there yet, are we? Unless I'm the only one that's like pouring out my heart and you're all perfect and I just completely missed something then. If that's so, I'm really sorry, but like we're, we're broken. 
but God, live, God lives in us to transform us and to shape us and to free us and liberating us, but we still experience groaning. What is the groaning and the longing of your heart? I think that's the, one of the, some of the key questions that we can ask ourselves this morning. If, if believers are groaning and longing, what are we groaning and longing for? The searcher of hearts. What's all that about? Well, actually, the Spirit of God and God the Father, there's this connection, this understanding. He knows the mind of God. But He also searches the hearts of, of us. And N.T. Wright talks about the root of this word. Now, I'm no Greek scholar, so I'm not even going to go into it. But I want you to, if you, if you doubt me, go and, chat, go and have a chat with N.T. Wright. The root word of search. He says it's like somebody lighting a torch and walking around in a dark room looking uh, at various parts. Other bits stay dark, but as you move in, it, it lights up and you get to see. It's like, oh, you know, we're like in modern day, let's switch your phone on and get the torch on and go into a dark room and find out where the dark bits is. So, which, where's, where's the dark bits of our hearts? That actually we would dread the Lord to expose. Or well, where's the groaning of our heart, the longing of our heart, the depth of our heart? Where, what is it we, we so desire? Do we so desire to be made new or are we, are we just bumbling along with life? Losing sight of the hope of that which is to come because if our, if our perspective is on the here and the now, it will feed hopelessness. It feeds hopelessness because you only need to switch on the news, you only need to click onto Twitter, you only need to go onto Instagram or if you're on TikTok, go into in TikTok and you see that things just aren't right, things aren't right with us. But where is the hope? Well, the hope lies in that which is to come. And so if the hope that lies in that which is to come, let's pursue it wholeheartedly. See, when um, I made mention that I did John O'Groats to Land's End, and I did it in, in eight days, and it was, it was hard work. It was graft. It was painful. When I started out at John O'Groats, I couldn't see Land's End. I knew it was there because I've seen it on a map. I've visited it in person, but when I started out on that journey, I could not see it. I just had to set out, hoping that my Wahoo would guide me. It would point me in the right direction, and that eight days later, I would get to Land's End, and I'd get to see my family. That was the hope. Now, I knew I'd do it because I'd put in the training. And Rachel would say, uh, however long it took me, I would get there. Such is the determination to finish it. But because I knew of the hope of that which is to come. Without hope, what motivates us? Without the hope of that which is to come, why give our hearts and our attentions to the pursuit of God? Well, I think if we're captivated by, by Jesus and we're captivated by that which is to come, that one day everything will be made new. That this, 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 this present suffering, the stuff that we experience in life and this here and now won't last forever, but... One day, fixing my attention on Jesus, fixing our attention on Jesus, fixing our hope on that which is to come, let us pursue him wholeheartedly. You see, the, the searching, search, searcher of hearts is, is both liberating and terrifying all in the same, the same breath, isn't it? Because he, he knows our hearts. He knows our hearts are for him or our hearts are far from him. He knows what we're keeping hold of and what we're giving over to him. There can be nothing that is hidden from the search of his spirit. 
So I don't know about you, but I'm kind of going, well, I may as well just give it all over. Because if nothing can be hidden, may as well go all in. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is it's not based, the, 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 the hope of the gospel, the life of, of faith in Christ is not based upon our, our righteousness. It's based on his. It's not based upon our ability to fill it. It's based on his who conquered the grave. So therefore, through faith in Christ, we step in and receive his righteousness that begins to work out in our lives. And so he takes us on this journey of transformation, this journey of a redemption that one day, one day will be, be with him. Now hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. How eager and how patient are we? And then finally, verse three, uh, no, sorry, point three this morning is this, that the spirit groans. See, creation, believers, and the spirit groaning for that which is to come, longing for something better. In the same way, the spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he searches our hearts knowing the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to, his, uh, to the will of God. We know all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. The Spirit of God is your best friend. He is your greatest help, and he is your greatest advocate. Anybody, have you ever found yourself just knowing not, not, how, 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 not knowing how to pray? Have you ever found yourself in a position where it's, just, it's, it's too painful, it's too, you just can't experience it, but there's something in your heart and your soul that's, and your spirit that's stirring, and you just know that there's a, the, the, the hope that you have is not based upon your current circumstances, but that which has been born in you, that which the spirit is drawing you to. Have you ever experienced something like that? With inexpressible groanings. Maybe you're experiencing some circumstances right now that you just don't know what to do. Well, maybe this morning it might be a help to you to remember that the Spirit of God self intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. He, he, he prays according to the will of God. Anybody ever said verse 28 to you in a moment of pain? What did you want to do? Punch them in the nose. Yeah. Because out of, out of context, this is just, and out of the, the big picture, it's just really hard to get your head around. But if we understand that God works through the painful experiences of our lives to shape us, because his purpose for your life and my life is not our happiness. That, that's, that's, a, that's not God's primary objective. It, it's, it's not to make you happy. It's to conform you to the image of his son. That's his primary purpose. His primary role and his primary occupation, his primary passion is that you and I are conformed to the likeness of Jesus. 
as if he were you, as Dallas Willard would say. That's the primary objective. So that he takes us and redeems us and, and our personality and our, our experience and our life becomes as he's designed us to be right in the beginning. Genesis 1 and 2 made us good. And he made us to be conformed to the likeness to display his glory and his majesty. And so as our lives transform, are transformed and changed, it speaks of his wonder and it speaks of his goodness. What do we do in a world that doesn't know how to handle pain? What kind of life do we live? When we experience the pain and suffering that's common to, to, to humanity, how do we handle that as believers? Well, I'd like to think that we handle it a little bit differently because we understand that God is working out his eternal purposes and he has us in the palm of his hands and the Holy Spirit is such, at work in us in such a way to conform us and transform us from the inside out to be more and more like Jesus. So his primary objective is not our happiness but is our conformity to his holiness. And in that, we find great, the greatest measure of joy. Why is it you can, you can meet people, followers of Jesus for a long time, who have experienced hardship of life, challenges of life, and yet they still know something of the joy of God at work in their lives? I think it's because they've rightly understood, rightly grappled with and grappling with the outworking of those circumstances in light of what God has called them to do and ultimately, and more importantly, to be. And he does this for, uh, for his glory and our benefit. And actually, as he works in us, his glory is made known as our lives are transformed. You are, if you're a follower of Jesus today, in this moment you said, I'm, Jesus, I'm yours, then know this, because I think this is a doctrine for the saints, not a doctrine for those who are yet to follow Jesus. I think this, is a do, this, this understanding of being called and predestined, it gives us a, a sense of, of, uh, of security in him that enables and propels us to pursue him, to walk with him, and to know that he's got us. It, this doctrine, this, this understanding doesn't give us a license to live as we please. doesn't give us a license, well, I once said a prayer at a Billy Graham crusade, or I once said a prayer here and there. It doesn't give us license to then go and carry on living as we please. It, it, gives, us the, the, uh, it gives us the obligation, as Paul writes elsewhere, to live according to the Spirit and to pursue the things of God. It gives us the opportunity and the life to live a different way. And so he, uh, Paul writes this, he says, those who predestined that you are chosen by God, you are called by God to be justified by him, made righteous in his sight. And those he justified, he also glorified. I, 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 I've got to be honest, I, I sometimes get my, I just get my, I struggle to get my head around that thought. But one day we'll, he works in us that his glory will be made known through us and seen in us. Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus' is, is, uh, transfiguration moment is radiating. He's not reflecting the glory of God. He's radiating the glory of God. From insight, it's like this, this bright light. I think it's Ma uh, is it Matthew 17 that you can go to and, and have a read of the transfiguration. Just radiating the glory of God. So as we're transformed and we're changed, 
I think it should be a natural, a natural outworking that people begin to see something different about, about the way that our lives are shaped and patterned, even in the midst of suffering. Because of the work of the Spirit of God in us, transforming us, shaping us, making us holy and righteous. So it's not, it's, it's not let's, just, um, let's just hope that these things happen. Actually, I think this is an invitation for us to partner with God, not only in the redemption of all things, but in the renewal of our lives the transformation of our hearts, the submission of our lives over to his purposes so that his, he's glorified and that we are transformed so that the world may see the power and the majesty of the one who reigns on high. So the pain that you experience, unfortunately, this side of eternity, that's going to be common to us the pain that I experience. The good news is that God will take hold of all of those things, use them for his glory, for your benefit, so that you and I are conformed more and more to the likeness of his son so that the world in which we participate in begins to see something of the power of God worked out in our lives as we participate with him in the renewal of all things. And in the meantime, there's going to be moments that we're going, to, we're going to fail. There's going to be moments where it's not going to be easy. We're not going to respond to pain well. We're not going to respond to things that come against us in, in ways that we would like to. But don't let that stop you. Don't let that um, stop you pursuing him, but rather let that be the, the, th- the very thing that compels you and drives you back to his grace, knowing that he is working in you to conform you to be more like him. And so as we pray, as we close, um, just think about your, just think about your life, think about your family, think about your circumstances, think about the things that you've experienced over the course of years. Maybe you thought that God was against you Maybe you thought those painful experiences were sent to crush you. But maybe God just wanted to, maybe God wants to use those moments to draw you to Him, to rest in Him, to know Him, and know His power at work in your weakness and my weakness, so that His glory is made known. So Jesus, I thank you for this. Um, thank you for this passage of scripture. Thank you, Lord, that that you speak through your word. That you are more desiring for us to to search after you, to pursue you, than we often are in our own in our own in our own lives. Jesus, would you help us in those moments of pain? Uh, I think about just in this room this morning, there's going to be some things that are going on in people's lives that are causing pain. And Lord, whilst in this moment that pain might not dissipate and might not disappear, but I ask of God that in this moment they would know 
your power at work in their lives, your hope flooding their hearts, the perspective shifting from that which is to that which will be, and that you would help them to navigate this, this season of life with, as, as a hope-filled people. Would you help us, Jesus, as a community to, to live life well, pursuing you above all things and being conformed to the image of your Son so that the 130,000 people in Stratford-on-Avon district might be able to see something of the power of your gospel at work in and through your church. For the glory of your name, I ask these things. Amen.